Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am the aforementioned Corey Morgan. This is my weekly opportunity to cover a few news stories, do a bit of ranting interview uh, guest or two, and just kind of catch up on what's been going on across Canada, around the world through the week. So for those of you watching this live, guys, be sure to make use of that comment scroll. I like seeing the comments coming in there. Send questions my way, comments, discuss things with each other. I see them all. I won't necessarily pass them all on to the guests or read them out, but I do see them and I appreciate them. It lets me know you're out there and participating. Just keep things civil, of course. I got a good one on today. There's so much to talk about. Boy, the news is just bouncing all over the place. going to be a real... Uh, starting with a focus on environmental things, which I'll get into in a moment. In a little while, uh, at uh, quarter after 12 or so, I'm going to have uh, former Senator Linda Frum on, and she's uh, with the UGA, UJA Federation. It's a Jewish group in Toronto and on the Committee to Combat Anti-Semitism because, we, yeah, we've got some crazy stuff going on across Canada. It's really... Uh, the, 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 the facade has dropped off of a lot of people and we're seeing who they really are. And unfortunately, a lot of who and what they are about is, is a lot of just terrible anti-Semitism. So what the heck can we do about it? And uh, we'll discuss that with uh, Linda from. But so let me get started, though, uh, with what's got me wound up on some things environmentally. So, yes, nothing exposes the nature of world environmentalists better than their annual pilgrimage, you know, of supposed defenders of the earth to the United Nations climate conferences. This year's conference, which they call COP28, is kicking off in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. And a record-breaking 70,000 delegates are flying there to live in opulence for two weeks to discuss better ways of telling the rest of us how we should be tightening our belts. No, I didn't make an error in the numbers, though it might even look that way. No fewer than 70,000 people are going to be getting on emission-belching jets, can't ride the bus to Dubai, guys, to cross the world and stay for days in a five-star resorts where gas-powered air conditioning will ensure they remain in perfect comfort as they navel-gaze and attend seminars for two weeks. The UAE, it's an oil-rich desert nation where... Uh, so while high emission energy is readily available, fresh food goods, on the other hand, they got to be imported. So there's going to be hundreds more flights to the UAE to ensure the delegates are greeted with only the freshest of fruit for breakfast and only the highest quality of salad greens are delivered for their evening room service. To ensure those greens remain fresh, of course, along with the assortment of high-end meat products, thousands of coolers are going to be burning millions of liters of fossil fuels to preserve these fine foods from the local desert heat. Thousands of servants, of course, they're going to be required to ensure this gathering of environmental royalty is properly cared for while they ponder on how to save the world. They're going to need chauffeurs and maids and chefs and dishwashers and security. It's labor intensive, but have no fear. The UAE has actually developed a fantastic, effective system of importing cheap labor from developing nations and then deporting them again when they're finished with their services. And sure, the UAE has been criticized for this use of borderline slavery by most of the human rights groups on the planet. But hey, what's a little labor abuse if it's for something as important as pampering international environmentalists? Speaking of human rights, the UAE is outstanding. They stand out in the world. They hold no elections, so they don't have to worry about that. And their government, you know, they're, they're indiscriminate. I mean, they're just as happy to detain and torture their own citizens as they are with foreign nationals. Flogging and stoning. Those are legal punishments in the UAE, and the courts are guided by a nice medieval form of Sharia law. And again, have no fear, the environmental crusaders descending on the UAE for their conference, though they'll be shielded from having to see some of those things going on. 
I mean, if their chambermaid is flogged for having committed the crime of showing her hair in public, she'll be transferred to the basement to work in laundry services so guests don't have to see her twitching in agony as she labors. The usual suspects, of course, are flying out to attend this luxury conference at COP28. Notable, scold, and intellectual luminary St. Greta Thunberg will be in attendance, of course, while Canada's green Jesus Stephen Gilbo will doubtless be blowing kisses in her direction throughout the conference. Thunberg's latest anti-Israel rantings will probably help to rise in the UAE food chain, and I'm sure her every need will be attended to while she makes the rounds at the conference. Then thousands of unknown bureaucrats, activists, politicians, and other self-important souls will pack the halls, bars, poolsides, and hotels of the UAE for the conference, too. This is their annual reward for toiling so hard for saving the world from itself. This is how your taxes paid and your donations to these environmental groups get spent. These conferences, you notice, they're never held in cold, undeveloped nations, of course. They ensure to hold them in places with nice climates where there's an abundance of five-star hotels available. What's being achieved at these conferences, though, that can't be achieved through streaming meetings? Well, nothing. Why is it so critical to have 70,000 people gathered in one spot for two weeks? Well, let's get to the point. These conferences have nothing to do with the environment. They're just excuses for thousands of hypocrites to burn millions of liters of fossil fuels on a paid vacation. It's one big party modeled for shoulder rubbing and fine dining. Actual environmental policy development never happens at these things. I mean, how could you do that with tens of thousands of delegates? These hypocrites will then fly home from their luxurious weeks of conspicuous consumption and dedicate their time to telling the rest of us that we're being selfish for wanting to live affordably in comfort using fossil fuels. You know, you're evil for driving that four-cylinder used car, which is the only one you can afford. You should be driving a $90,000 Tesla. They'll lobby for increasing carbon taxes while shutting down profitable, efficient, conventional energy industries. They'll put you out of work while they demand and receive increases in their already large incomes. The delegates at COP28 will consume more resources in a week than the combined citizens of some small countries. And until we start calling these hypocrites out and start firing the governments that employ them, they're going to keep getting away with it, guys. If we keep swallowing the lies from the environmental left and ignoring the double standards they flaunt right in our faces, maybe we deserve the energy and financial poverty that comes with it then. Yeah, that's what's got me going this week, guys. It's just disgusting. It really is. I mean, how can you not look at that and, and you just see the, the, the hypocrisy, the grossness? Um, what's her name? Sephora Berman. She was the green saint that uh, uh, Rachel Notley hired on. She's a crazed environmental activist, made her name opposing logging in BC because she prefers forest fires to take the forest down instead. She flew to Dubai, of course. And she opened the curtains of her window. She tweeted it out her disgust in being having a view of the gas plant that is burning gas to make the electricity to keep the climate control in her room so she doesn't sweat her little ass while she's in there. They don't get it. They're not self-aware whatsoever. You tweeted that out. You showed how stupid and hypocritical you are. But well, maybe again, if we keep paying their bills, maybe we are the idiots, right? I don't know. But uh, yeah, you know, Gerald, uh, one of the commenters said, isn't Dubai built because of fossil fuels? Yes. It is. And these are leftists who say they care about human rights. Well, it's one of the worst human rights offenders on the planet, but they don't care. As long as they have their six-figure incomes, their nice vacations, their pampered rooms, they don't care. It's a racket, people. And we're the ones getting hooped out of it. So better start paying attention. 70,000 of them flying over there. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And then they tell us to tighten our belts. Tell us, you got a vacation at home. you got to have a 100-mile diet. You've got to put on a sweater to kind of keep warm in winter rather than, you know, trying to turn up the gas, right? Man, 
So speaking of that sort of idiocy, now I'm afraid, by the way, yes, our, our news editor, Dave Naylor, is indisposed today. He usually pops in to give us an update of what's going on. So I'll cover some more news stuff and things that are happening out there anyways. I'm sure Dave will be back to chat with us next week and cover some stuff. Just that reminder, all of these stories, guys, they're on the Western Standard. As you can see there, westernstandard.news. The, they are behind a paywall. You know, a subscription, $9.99 a month, $100 a year. That's how we can keep producing this stuff. That's how we have so many reporters, so many people, so many stories coming out there as they break. So if you haven't subscribed yet, guys, just as my reminder, please subscribe. We really appreciate it, and it's well worth it. And if you've already subscribed, I want to thank you. I really do appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's important to all of us here. So some of the stuff that's really been breaking, a, a big news conference today on the, the carbon and the environment subject was a, a big press conference and an announcement of an $8.8 billion um, investment in a carbon capture project, I guess, with, with uh, Dow is going is to invest that in Alberta. Now, I, I know it's, people can debate whether we even need to capture carbon or whatever, but the bottom line is this is Alberta's efforts that have been made to be compliant. They're trying and they're saying, well, we can continue to produce oil and gas and we will sequester the carbon emissions deep underground so they, they don't uh, you know, threaten all the fluffy bunnies and, and, and ruin the world as, as we're accused of. But it's never enough. It's never enough. One of the first responses out of the CBC, the state broadcaster after that conference, they have a video and a news story talking about how some residents are concerned about this carbon capture project. You see, if it comes from Alberta, it's wrong. It doesn't matter what we do. Maybe we got to stop caring what they think because they're not going to support us or give us credit for anything we do ever, ever. If Notley had uh, announced this carbon capture project, they would probably be canonizing her. It's brilliant. She's saving the world. But because it was Daniel Smith, because it's in Alberta, and because it facilitates ongoing production of oil and gas, which, by the way, generates royalties, taxes, revenue, economic stimulus to pay for all those social programs, transfer payments, the welfare that Quebec relies upon, we're bad. We're bad. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. But that's typical. But we have our own homegrown morons as well. Uh, Deborah Yedlin is a prime example of it. She's the head of the uh, Chamber of Commerce in Calgary. I've, I've taken a run at her before. She used to write in the Calgary Herald as the business writer. She's never, to my knowledge, actually run or owned a business, but she can sure talk about it. And she's talking about how, well, this is getting more into the other part, but uh, Daniel Smith has announced that um, she's going to invoke the Sovereignty Act, you know, pushing back. Because again, we are getting pressure. We're getting told we have to shut down our oil and gas ability. We have to close it in. And that's the only thing Gilbo will settle for. So the Sovereignty Act's coming. And what does Yedlin say? This is going to drive away investment. Well, I don't know. It seems like $8.8 was just announced this morning, Yedlin. You clueless woman. But, I mean, it's nothing new out of her. She also came out when, uh, when Jason Kenney finally, finally lifted the vaccine passports from uh, restaurants and, and, and businesses and said people could go in and grab a meal without having to show uh, their, their phone that they'd been, uh, you know, medicated. And she said, she said, this is the head of the Chamber of Commerce, said this is going to hurt businesses in Alberta because people will be afraid to go to restaurants and bars because the Vax passport will be gone. What a load of crap. Now, either she was outright lying or she's outright clueless on how businesses actually work. I owned a pub for five years. Don't tell me for a second, even if you agree with the vaccine passports, don't try to tell me that it actually helped businesses. It did not. It cost to have people up front 
who had to scan and check for all of that. It cost with lost traffic for people who chose not to be vaccinated. It cost with just general mayhem and a pain in the butt. No, it helped business when the passport was gone. So how clueless can a supposed head of a business organization be when saying, and of course it was proven wrong pretty quickly afterwards, that these things would actually harm business? She had no clue what the hell she's talking about. And now she's saying that Smith's uh, efforts, and she's been saying that sort of thing for, for months and months since Smith got in, and so is the left in general, are going to drive away investment. Well, actually, investment in Alberta just keeps growing and growing, as well as our population. Our GDP has been growing the fastest in Canada for over a year now. Is even though we, we're nasty and we elected UCP and, and we develop oil and gas, well, guess what? Our GDP is still going up. The investment isn't running away. Uh, likewise, either our people, our population is going up faster than any other province. People are moving here. They're voting with their feet. So if indeed our terrible policies are, uh, you know, so, so in, insufferable and unbearable for people, why are people moving here? Why are people investing here? The reality is pragmatists, people do realistically understand that the world is going to need petrochemical products for decades. In fact, if you listen to any reasonable economist or energy specialist or business person, they will say that we may be working to wean ourselves from petrochemical products, but it's going to be decades. So if we've got it in the ground, let's use them now. Let's do it as cleanly as possible. So we do do things out here. As I said, we bring in uh, an almost $9 billion carbon capture project, though, and what reward does Premier Smith get for having done so? Well, she gets, as I said, the head of the Chamber of Commerce saying Smith's driving away investment. It's a strange way to drive away investment. And at the same time, also the CBC pops out and talks, suddenly carbon capture is now an environmentally bad thing. Leave it to the state broadcaster to suddenly determine carbon capture is bad the moment Alberta invests in carbon capture. Uh, I don't know. We can't seem to win out here, guys. But we are in some crazy times. Let's turn the page and talk about uh, something that's been ongoing. My guest is going to be in shortly. I mean, here's something interesting. Uh, maybe uh, um, Ms. Frum can expand a bit on that. It was coming out of the Bloc Quebecois, of all people, uh, a private uh, member's bill to amend the criminal code to, to cover uh, anti-Semitism and some of the speech uh, issues going on with that, because there seems to be uh, exceptions being made. And a quote from that story shows this is some of the stuff that's been said out there that if you applied this sort of speech to any other identifiable group, you would be charged by the, the human rights uh, <laughs> courts and things such as that. This was said, uh, a quote from a, a mullah or something, Oh Allah, destroy, destroy the Zionist aggressors, destroy the enemies of the people of Gaza, count their numbers, slay them one by one, and spare not a one of them. That's from a sermon in Canada, guys. This wasn't some crazed man on a rock somewhere in a Middle Eastern country. This is the speech that's going around. Is it little surprise that unfortunately we've got people taking it up and, and becoming terribly aggressive and, and hateful with Jewish people in the country? We really thought we were beyond that. So let, let's bring in former Senator uh, Linda Frum and chair of the UJA Federation of Toronto and uh, expand a little more on this. So thank you very much for joining us today, Linda. Oh, thank you, Corey. It's nice to see you and thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's appreciated. Uh, so, I mean, as you kind of heard me in, in opening, and I've been watching you covering it on X, and I, I know you wrote a whole lot of that, that on the, the your committee to combat uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, I think, you know, people always realized it was still always there. It's just something that doesn't seem to go away. 
but it just really shocked everybody how it's blossomed. I mean, it, it was obviously an underlying feeling that, that's been sitting for a lot of people and, and the events in, in Israel and Gaza just opened up this, this, this wave of, of, of hate and, and, and it's just uh, staggering. It, it truly is. And yes, I have been chairing the UJA of Toronto's uh, Combating Anti-Semitism and Hate Committee. Uh, and when we started this uh, initiative two years ago, we thought things were, were difficult. But in the last few weeks, um, just as you say, the level of, of vitriol, the manifestations of violence have really taken the, the uh, Canadian Jewish community um, by shock. And uh, we're, we're all very distressed about it. And um, I really appreciate you having me on the show because I don't think this is just a Jewish problem. This is this is a, a, a Canadian problem. This is about what kind of society we want to have. And the way that Jewish people are treated in a society is a reflection of the health of that society. And uh, for my entire lifetime, I'm not ashamed to say I'm 60 years old, I, uh, I always thought that I lived in, I still think I live in the greatest country in the world, but I thought I lived in a very safe country, a place where it was safe to be Jewish. And I know that it's not just me, it's, it's, it's all of my, it's my, my, my members of my community who are feeling much more nervous and frightened today. Well, and it, I mean, there's a number of areas where it's been really rising up, but one of the biggest ones has been in, in post-secondary institutions. Uh, it, it's hard to say which one's been the worst. Lately, York, though, has, has been one that's been standing out. And just to give people some background, some people vandalized an indigo outlet and painted windows and, and intimidated staff there and, and customers for the sole reason that it was owned by a Jewish person. That's really the only reason. They keep cloaking it, saying, oh, it's Zionism. No, you targeted a Jewish-owned business and attacked it. And it turned out these were faculty and staff at York who did this, not run-of-the-mill kids or idiots. These were established people at a university. And when they got suspended, as they should, students were walking out in support of these faculty members. Now, how must that feel if you're a Jewish student in that university when your co-students and faculty feel that it's all right to attack Jewish people? Yeah, right on. That's exactly it. I think just there's a culture now of fear and intimidation that's being experienced. But I will say that the good news on that horrible story is that the uh, the faculty members and the staff were suspended, and I hope they will eventually be terminated because they they committed. I mean, it's I think hate charges are part of what's being uh, contemplated here, uh, rightly so, because they were uh, inciting. Um, hatred and violence towards uh, Heather Reisman, the owner of the store. I mean, I think that that, that the message of the, the posters and the blood on the door was, was very clear. So as I say, what is um, satisfying is that we still have norms in place where if you commit a crime and a hate crime, you will be suspended. And as I say, I think, I hope uh, eventually terminated. So we, we are enforcing those standards. And I think that the challenge right now for Canadians is that we really need to stand up in defense of our values, our standards and our laws. And so long as we do that, I mean, then we have a way to protect ourselves from this wave of, of hatred that is crossing our country. 
Yeah, so I mean, I guess to try and look at a silver lining, I mean, this has been something that's been festering. It's been there a while. We just didn't realize the scope of it and the problems. And and now that it's been exposed, though, we can look at solutions. I mean, I, we, we should have legal sanction against people committing hate crimes and, uh, you know, vandalizing businesses, intimidating people. But still, just criminal sanctions aren't what gets rid of the hate. In fact, it'll often entrench it further with some of the people. How do you work to whittle away at that underlying hate that's there that causes this in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, it actually, the laws are important and essential to have, but you have to try and get at the root of it. And I mean, you mentioned just the the chilling atmosphere right now on, on campus for, for uh, Jewish students, but it's also true in our high schools and isn't it's true in our, in our primary schools. I, I mean, there's just been um, also this uh, bubbling up of um, events. There was a, a letter signed by 2,000 Jewish parents uh, last week sent to the Ontario Minister of Education because the 2,000 parents are saying that their children are experiencing in junior and middle school uh, routine acts of anti-Jewish expression. So you have to start at the beginning. You have to start there. And, uh, you know, if what's happening, I think, is that for a lot of teachers in the classroom, they are looking at this through the lens of an Israel-Palestinian conflict and they don't wanna get in the middle of it and they don't wanna take sides and they don't know anything about it and they don't wanna get involved. But if you have a student who's being bullied or harassed um, because of their religious or cultural identity, like that's you don't need to know anything about their religious or cultural identity. You, you have to know that that's unacceptable and inappropriate and has to be stopped. And the perpetrator, even if they're 10 or 11 years old, has to be sanctioned. And, and we do seem to understand that when it comes to anything else. I mean, if students were uh, purposely picking on a, a black student or a First Nations student or whatever, I mean, the, the school is going to, or at least should, I am, who knows, I'm sure this, there might be some terrible schools out, uh, otherwise out there, but typically they're going to jump right in there and intervene and, and start to correct this behavior because that's not what we're all about. But we, we see a different standard when it comes to this. And, and I, I understand there's complexities with the conflict and people have some very, uh, you know, I have my biases uh, in, in watching that and, and, and taking sides in a sense, but to have people cloak it and say it's all about the co conflict, but when you're actually targeting Jewish businesses, Jewish individuals, when you have no idea where their stance is on that issue, that's problematic and, and that's not uh, anything to do with the conflict itself. Yeah, exactly. And then even, you know, uh, within, so at that, at, at the junior school level, the high school level, you know, it's, it's tends to be very personal. I mean, there's been a lot of reported cases of, of Jewish students getting a Heil Hitler sign or uh, being told they're not allowed to look at certain students in the eye because they're dogs or whatever it is. So those kinds of anecdotes. Um, but then when it does come to the conflict, there is right and wrong. Uh, you know, Hamas is a terrorist organization. It's a listed a terrorist organization in Canada, the atrocities that they committed, you know, were, were some of the most brutal, uh, you know, outrageous acts of violence that we have seen in our lifetime. And, uh, and since the Holocaust, as is often said, and it's okay, I think, to take a position on that, uh, to be against that. And um, so that, you know, that gets us into these, these, these campus situations and, you know, is, is all speech equal and no, uh, a speech that is promoting and glorifying, uh, you know, terrorist acts by Hamas, uh, is not, is, is, is in a category of speech that I think is, it should be condemned and it's okay to condemn certain types of speech.
Well, that's it. I mean, inciting violence, whether it's racially based or anything else, is, is against the law in Canada. There's just no justifying doing that. That's not what we're about. But I mean, getting up to the higher level and where the examples are being set, we, we have a prime minister who is reticent. Uh, he always has to couch it when he will condemn. You know, we've had uh, Jewish schools multiply shot, bullets fired into the doors. There's been fire bombings. I mean, this is stuff we never imagined before. And the prime minister will condemn it. Good. I appreciate that. But he will always couch it with, as well, we have to combat Islamophobia. Well, I, fair enough, but I'm not seeing any Islamophobia. Why do you have to put that ad on every time? If we'd been seeing mosques attacked, then absolutely. But they're not. Like, what? Why can't you just unconditionally condemn this. And I, I think it sets an example all the way down that this is exceptional and perhaps a little more understandable than, than prejudices that are shown against other groups. Yes, precisely. I mean, we all understood uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests that uh, why, why uh, Black people found it obnoxious when people countered that with, well, all lives matter, because you weren't uh, when you said that, you weren't acknowledging the very specific type of um, you know, uh, struggles that the Black, particularly the American Black community ha has faced. So you were minimizing it when you said all lives matter. But, but to your point, uh, the same is true. There aren't any other schools in Canada that are being firebombed. There's only one uh, cultural group who's having their schools firebombed, and that's the Jewish community. And if you can't just say that and admit it, then you can't fix the problem if, you're, if you are hiding the problem. And yes, our prime minister is unwilling to, as you say, he, he's always prepared to say the right thing in the moment or acknowledge that the firebombing happened, but you know, it could have happened to other people too. So we're against all firebombing to all people. He always does that, but you know, he is the prime minister. He is the leader of our country and just him tweeting out how upsetting it is that there's firebombings going on in his country. You know, that's just, it's not very satisfying as a response. Uh, we need to see much more action. We need to see, you know, the laws beeped up. We need to see him expressing a desire to see the perpetrators of those acts, you know, caught and prosecuted. He doesn't talk like that or say that. He could be offering to provide more security to Jewish institutions that clearly need it. Um, he could be doing all kinds of things that he's not prepared to do. Yeah, and, and so to, to look at, at other issues that have come up too, I mean, I was just, again, I'm a cynical guy. I, I expect the least out of a whole lot of political activists and politicians and people, but I was still floored when I saw uh, that letter that came out that was basically denying that sexual uh, assault had happened to uh, hostages and, and people taken in this terrorist act by Hamas. But not just that some lunatic would write something like that. That doesn't surprise me. But the amount of people that signed on and still to this point will not back off and, and, and are denying that this happened. Supposed people who were uh, opposed to sexual assault and, and the abuse of women. I, where does this come from? Yeah, I have to say I find that especially uh, painful because it comes from, I, I hate to even have to articulate it, it comes from the fact that... Uh, the, the people who will sign a letter like that, denying the, the, you know, the use of rape as a weapon in this attack on Jews, they hate Jews so much that that uh, emotion is privileged and prioritized over any other rationality or even, you know, even if there are people who are generally against violence towards women or claim to be, you know, you know, feminists or members of, you know, other groups, marginalized groups. But 
you know, when it comes to hating Jews, that's their number one priority. And so denying the atrocities committed against Jews, because what, what that's about is, is an unwillingness to ever acknowledge that Jews can be victims, because that is that undermines the whole narrative of hating Jews, because Jews are only oppressors and they can't be victims. So they have to lie when, in fact, you know, 1,200 people were savagely murdered. You still have people right now uh, being held in cages in Gaza, children and women and men, you know, it's not like it's okay to put a man in a cage, an innocent person. So the Jew hatred trumps every other reasonable emotion. Well, that's it. it the worst atrocities that humans have committed, and, and unfortunately, we're, we're very good at committing atrocities, but it seems one of the things the extreme have to do is you have to dehumanize your victims in your own mind. You have to say they're less than human, whether, again, that, that, that was in, in World War II or in Rwanda or, or wherever else. I mean, with the, the acts that the, the, the members of Hamas did when they, they crossed the border in Israel, these were people who have convinced themselves that, that these aren't people that they're attacking. And, that, and that, 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 again, that's a thing that has to be corrected very early with somebody and when you see this. Corey, you're, you're talking about Hamas themselves, and I agree, but how does that explain all the intellectuals populating our universities, our campuses, our parliaments, who are also, uh, you know, yeah, to that view of I must dehumanize my enemy. And that's where I'm seeing the seeds of it that are getting sown that would promote and, and, and expand to more and more of this sort of hatred, more and more of the, the acts against people and, and the justification of such things. Like this is where we have to try and nip it in the bud. Like a paradoxy, one of the commenters has said repeatedly, we don't need more, more hate speech laws. I kind of agree. We've got enough laws on the book if we utilize them. We don't need more. But there's a lot of areas where we aren't intervening when some of this hate is being spread. And, and that's where we have to find this and, and nip it off in the bud. Yes. Yes, totally. And I would say, I do want to say, so it's not to, it's not to be a total downer for anyone listening, is that I do continue to believe in, in um, you know, the tolerance and goodness of the vast majority of Canadians. I do believe that Canadians dislike uh, it when they see hatred and discrimination and bullying and intimidation and, and certainly in violence. Canadians don't like that. And that, that is outside of our you know, national values. So you're right. I agree. I mean, I think we, there, I think there are, could be more laws, better, you know, improvements in our laws, but I think our laws as they exist are sufficient to capture all the things that are going on. But what we do need is for people who are not in um, either in law enforcement or, or legislators, you know, employers or colleagues at work or fellow parents at schools to speak up when they see something wrong to confront it and to challenge it on just on a person to person basis that will make the world better that will make canada better no, absolutely. I mean, there's just levels and levels. I mean, we, we could talk much longer, but our, our segment has gone so fast. Uh, I guess just to, to close off, uh, where can we find more information on your work and, and, and what's going on out there so that we can help, you know, at least uh, try to counter these things and give resources pe to people to, to try and, you know, battle this hatred that's going around? Yes. So uh, people can go on the website of CJA, um, uh, which is um, the Canada Israel Jewish Affairs, or UJA Federation of Toronto, or um, you and I are both still on X or <laughs> hold us. People are uh, welcome to to follow me there, uh, you know, at Linda Frum. And, uh, you know, uh, and B'nai B'rith is another great resource. Uh, Simon Wiesenthal is another great resource. Uh, there are groups, lots of groups in Canada who are working uh, to stand up 
to Jew hatred. And, um, you know, we are all doing what we can. Well, I, I appreciate the work you're doing and you're coming on. I, I think the way that we're going to get to it, too, is, is more reasoned discussions, more reasoned intervention in the institutions where this is being spread rather than the, the screaming and the, and the, 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 the conflict that just uh, sort of uh, you know, adds to it. Though we've got to crack down on those people who are crossing the line and quit soft selling it. So uh, I, I appreciate the work you're doing and, and we'll keep at it until we get this sorted out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, All right. Well, thanks again. And I uh, hope we get to talk again soon. Indeed. Nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you. So yes, that was former Senator Linda Fromm. And, and she has been, uh, yeah, if you look on uh, X, if you follow on there, very outspoken and, and, and covering a lot of the issues. And, and again, I mean, we get pretty angry on there at times, but it's mostly still responding or trying to respond with reason. There's one of the, I'm a person who's in your face. I fight back. I push back. I, I do. But I do, I have to temper myself. I have to try and look we, we want to deal with the immediate people. As Paradox is saying, we've got the laws. Let's intervene. And, and to a degree, we are. I mean, these, these idiots from York University have been charged. And uh, they've been suspended. And I would hope if it leads to a conviction because they have committed a crime, they will be permanently fired from there. Give the consequences to the immediate ones. But I also want to look deeper. I want us to somehow learn from this. Because as I said, this hate was, was bubbling under the surface of Canadians so much and we didn't even know it, didn't realize it. We always knew it was there to a degree. You would see the odd things you'd hear about it. A, a, a Jewish cemetery would be vandalized or some idiot would spray paint a swastika on the door of a synagogue. But to have it just explode like this, We've got to get to the root. This is a, a problem we want to look at in the longer term. We want to find out where it's coming from and cut that off. And as, as was mentioned by Linda, you know, what about the kids who are learning it? Are they learning it at home? Or if they're learning it at school, are parents saying, you know what, there's something as parents we shouldn't be afraid to say, you know what, your teacher is wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. You don't want your kid always in the face of the teacher. But if they come home and say, yeah, I heard this from there, well, then follow up and find out what's going on. What is that instructor telling your child and tell the child that this is not the way to go. And that child could be, yeah, getting up to the point of post-secondary as well. They're still looking to us as parents to learn what's appropriate and what's really happening out there. But it, I've just been, as I said, shocked. I mean, it's anti-Semitism is nothing new, but we thought Canada was the country that really had the least of it, right? And, and clearly we, we don't. Uh, you know, some of the simple rules. There we are. You know, somebody puts it a little more lightly, uh, angry Canadian, a commenter saying, George Carlin's had two laws we should have. Don't kill anyone. And then the brackets, unless they deserve it. And don't be a dick. Well, okay. Those are simple ones to follow. They're good ones in life. But that's kind of, yeah, what I talk about. When you're crossing the lines of getting violent, intimidating people, uh, you're going beyond the pale. And try not to be the dick. Try to find solutions. It's so easy to get mad right now because, boy, I tell you, they're giving us a whole lot of stuff to be mad about. But uh, we, we, we just, we're not going to get anywhere by getting in each other's faces. I, I've been, I, I've been watching, I've been tempted to go out here in Calgary, for example. They've had some of the protests where they're lining each side of the street. I'm not sure. I might go out one of these Sundays, but I've been busy. But it, it, does it help? Does it help when you have I mean, when, when they're left unopposed out there screaming and blocking our roads and spreading hate, and they are, uh, then perhaps it's showing that we're giving up. But at the same time, if we have a large group of people go in and it turns into a big conflict on the street, does that help either? The majority of the country wants no part of this whole mess, I think. It's, it's vocal, hateful minorities, and, and it's causing us a lot of problems. So, well, we'll keep working on things, guys. Uh, see what we can do. 
All right, let's see some of the other stuff. Here's something that's interesting, actually. Speaking of using some of the laws, and, uh, you know, we've got them on the books. I'm with Paradox, so we don't need more. We've got enough. We've got enough. Use them, though. We've got the, too much cowardice in actually applying these laws, it seems, when they're used. So uh, a bunch of idiots in uh, Winnipeg on November 20th went and blocked uh, a Winnipeg rail line for uh, five hours. You got to remember, Winnipeg is a hub. I mean, it, it's kind of the center of North America for the shipment of a lot of goods and everything by rail. So when you block a main line for hours and hours, it's a very serious thing. It comes at very serious costs. It disrupts things all the way down the supply chain line. And this, again, was only a handful of idiots, a handful of extremists. And, and our wimp, wimp-like system didn't charge these peckerheads. They intervened, I guess, eventually and moved them, but they, they didn't do anything more. Said, there, it's done. We'll leave it be. Well, CN said, you know what? No, we're suing them. We're taking them to court. We're going to use the courts then. Fine. We're going to bankrupt these little craps because we can't just let people come out and do this whenever they're upset about something politically. And, uh, you know, Paradoxy saying, yeah, when will their bank accounts be frozen? Well, Paradoxy, they'll be frozen as soon as they annoy Trudeau or embarrass him. And uh, so far, apparently that hasn't happened. Yeah, there are definitely two standards for when they intervene on uh, illegal protests and things like that. So the, the Winnipeg case, though, Canadian National Railway is suing them. And uh, you know what the name of this group was that blocked the rail line? They're the Queers for Palestine branch of Winnipeg. Yes, this is the, not a joke. The Queers for, Valata, for Palestine, Winnipeg. As others put it, it's similar to saying chickens for KFC or black people for the KKK. Queers for Palestine. I, I, I'm sick of this extreme left thing, this cognitive dissonance, this, this setting aside the reality of what they're supporting over there. This is what I'm talking about when we had a sexual assault center in the University of Alberta actually sign a letter saying nobody was raped by Hamas. And then we had these, these queers for Palestine forgetting that every one of those Arab nations will kill them. Not might kill them. They will kill them. They say that. It's illegal to be gay. They throw them off buildings over there. And you support that. The hell's the matter with you guys? So yes, in other words, you're nuts and you're stupid. And now you're being sued. And I hope that C uh, CN wins the lawsuit. And I also hope that uh, they, they sue further uh, cases where people do this sort of idiocy. Uh, maybe, you know, again, if we can't get our criminal uh, system to go after the, these people when they're, they're disrupting us uh, for their weird pet causes, maybe the civil courts will be able to do it. You know, hey, have your protests, support the uh, anti-LGBTQ Arab nations all you like, but don't be blocking our infrastructure while you do it, you morons. And uh, angry Canadians saying, yeah, cows for McDonald's. Yeah. And speaking of the idiotic woke, yeah, there's always lots to speak about with the idiotic woke, isn't there? Well, we had an Alberta MLA and NDP one. So this was a big issue in Alberta. This is this is the the the, the thing Notley lobbed out wants to try and make some sort of social wedge issue that really didn't make much ground. So they put a private member's bill out. They want to make birth control pills free for women. They, they well, that's not free. Remember, taxpayers pay for it. So they want to make taxpayers pay for the birth control pills for women. No. And, and the legislature said no. Uh, come on, guys. It's elective. I, I, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we can't afford to pay for anything and everything. The, the, the pill can cost some people some money, certainly. But 
hey, it'll save you a lot more money if you use it. Uh, it's not my responsibility to pay for your birth control. People say, oh, well, then you got to pay for my crotch goblins when they come out later. Well, again, if you're that irresponsible, chances are you were probably going to breed like a fly anyway. So uh, don't try and say it was the lack of uh, free birth control pills that, that got you pregnant. <laughs> I understand how people get pregnant. I, I managed it a few times in the 90s. That's why I took responsibility and got a vasectomy in the later part of it. So I uh, uh, you know, have spread my fruit as far as need be. See, it's my responsibility. And for other people, it's their responsibility to take care of it. Don't, don't put it on me. But either way, this NDP MLA, and you can see the video on the westernstandardonline.com, got up and talked about how folks with uteruses need universal contraception. Not women. No, 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 we can't say that. Folks with uteruses. That's the term now. This is how loony the woke are. This is how beyond the pale are. They, they are. This is why they aren't getting broad support. This is why the NDP, thankfully, will not get in. Why they won't win the women's vote even left-leaning women, because when you're stealing their gender, and that's what you're doing, you're pulling the identity away from them. You're saying you can't identify as a woman anymore. You're a person with a uterus. I'm a man with a penis. No, I'm not a man, right? I'm just a guy with a, a person with a penis? Where's that go anyways? It's not terribly large even to that, but all the same, it's apparently that's how I have to be categorized. I can't say I'm a man. Come on, you guys, you're nuts. Cut it out. The only people who need birth control pills are women. And yes, women have uteruses. I mean, the other term they use often for that when they're trying to get away with from it is, is uh, menstruators. Really? Really? Because, of course, you know, only, well, of course, there was, there, there, there's been some trans ones pretending to menstruate as well. It's just bizarre. And again, we're indulging the fringe people, guys. And they have the right to go and do whatever you like to yourself when you're an adult, but, but, but I don't have to indulge you with it. You are, uh, we have these discussions. We're gone so far over from, from, from reality. And uh, yeah, you're, not, you're insulting women at this point, And you don't seem to realize that. And you're only catering to a tiny minority now. So, uh, and it's funny, I believe the NDP member who was speaking was a person without a uterus. How dare he, and I, maybe I'm misgendering, I don't care, uh, how dare he speak on behalf of women? What would he know about it, right? Or maybe he's trans. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just sick as hell of it. We got better things to do in the legislature. And it failed. It didn't get through. So sorry, you guys are going to have to continue to buy your own birth control pills. Just uh, bear that in mind before you, uh, when you practice to conceive, right? Uh, what else we got going on here? Yes, the economy's still holding up and, and the Sovereignty Act. I kind of want to wrap up with that. that that's been, there's been a lot of discussion on that whole thing. So Premier Smith has invoked it. She's pushing back. The, the bottom line of the, the conflict is Gilbo wants this net zero thing to happen by 2035. It has to happen by 2035, no matter what. And he will not bend. He will not back down. He won't even say 2036, 2037. Smith is saying it could happen by 2050. And as I said, I know there's debates on whether we should even be sequestering carbon or whatever, but there's efforts being made in Alberta, but we won't get credit for it because again, they do not like us and they want to shut down oil and gas altogether, no matter what. So, uh, Gilbo, uh, you know, is pushing back. So Smith's saying, fine, we're going to invoke the sovereignty act, but what is it? 
What is it? You know, speaking of virtue signaling to a degree, and I'm supportive of Smith. I'm supportive of her fighting Gilboa as much as possible on this. But the, as a reporter sort of got on Smith's case the other day for it at a, a conference saying, well, what is it that you're doing that can't be done, you know, without the Sovereignty Act? The actions taking things to court, opposing uh, uh, the uh, federal government on this, you know, th these are things you can do without this Sovereignty Act. And I have to agree. I, I, I guess some of the framework of the Sovereignty Act gives her a tool to be able to put it together into one package where you can kind of push a larger opposition to a particular thing together when you feel for sure you you, you haven't uh, had the constitution infringed upon in Alberta, things like that, something to take to court. But most of it we could do without. The other thing that made me a little nervous, and I know some people got upset with me on X about that when I talked about it, but I'll see, we'll see it unfold. And I understand why she's going there. But Smith's talked about possibly forming a crown corporation, uh, you know, a government-owned natural gas electricity electricity generating company. This is a step back. Okay. I mean, I, I, I know she envies almost, uh, Mo, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, who has at least told Gilbo, go to hell. We won't collect your carbon tax. The government owns all the resource, the, the, the utility companies. So we'll just tell them not to collect. You can't do that with private companies. You can't tell a private CEO, Hey, go out there, break the law, put your neck on the line and uh, refuse to commit, you know, collect that tax. It won't work that way. I understand that. And I also understand that some of the fear is that Gilbo and Trudeau will drive out investment confidence so badly. They'll do what, of course, you know, Yedlin and the other fools are accusing Smith of, but that they'll drive it down so much that there won't be enough electrical capacity built by private interests, thus the government must do so. But I still get nervous with that, guys. When the government gets into business, it rarely ends well. Alberta spent a lot of time and work getting out of private business. I don't miss government-owned liquor stores. I don't miss government-owned uh, uh, registries. And I sure don't miss AGT, you know, the government telephone company. And you look at other companies the government formed, whether Petro-Canada federally or in Alberta, we did a terrible job. We suck as, as the, when the government runs businesses, our private citizens can do it, but not the government. Look up Novatel, look up MagCan, look up the Swan Hills Waste Disposal Plant. Oh, all of these things in the late 80s, early 90s, the government got into, they flushed away billions of tax dollars and all of those businesses went broke. So pardon me, but I do not feel comfortable when Premier Smith starts talking that route. As, as Karen uh, Mitchell, the commenter says, she did say it's a last resort. I sure hope so. I don't even want to consider it a, look at it as a consideration. Hopefully we can do it without even going there one way or another. All right. That's all the time I've got today, guys. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, the pipeline will be on a little later with more stuff and news and items to cover with the panel. And of course, I will be back again at this time next week. So make sure to tune in, share it with other people. Let's build this audience, guys. Let's get out there and hold this government to account. Thanks again and see you next week. Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. 
and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. We got in with an issue, that's good. Yeah.